Northern Seminary and the Center for Theological Integrity. This is the pastor's table. Today's church leaders are weary and burnt out from trying to lead in the machine of corporate leadership systems. The pastor's table brings you conversations with local pastors working out deep theological convictions in their churches. Here are your hosts, Rev. Tara Beth Leach and Dr. Mark Quanstrom. Welcome to The Pastor's Table. I'm Tara Beth Leach, and we are on week three of a very special series on women in ministry where with my friend and special co-host over the last couple weeks, Bethany Hammer, and I have been reflecting on the joys and the thrills of serving as a woman in ministry. And last week, we had Maria LaCrone, who is a pastor in Southern Illinois, And there were so many different things that struck me about the conversation. One of the things that struck me was her journey as a mom Mm -hmm. and as a pastor. And I was so moved to hear another woman reflect on how ministry and mothering, it doesn't mean ministry has to stop, but the word she used was merge. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she felt like God was was giving her permission to merge ministry along with mothering. And that was a lesson that I felt like the Spirit taught me years ago when I was reading Nancy Beach's book, uh, where she said, ministry doesn't have to stop. It's just going to look different. And I know for me as a mom, every single season is different. The moment that I think that I've got it figured out, um, something changes. A life stage change, changes. Sports schedule changes. Something changes. Um, But this idea of merging gives us permission as women to trust the entire body of Christ to walk with us in this journey. And Bethany, I would would imagine that there were a number of things that that stuck out to you in that conversation as well. Yeah, so I I agree with you that the family piece and widening the circle, that was a big conversation. One of the things that stuck out to me was how she started off, Maria started off in an administrative role. Mm -hmm. And then fast forward now she's in a pastoral role Mm -hmm. and so i just i look at that and and we have melissa with us today and i know that's a little bit of her story too so it's just interesting how we see this entry level Mm -hmm. for women um and we disqualify ourselves from something more so we just get in the door wherever we can right no that's so true um i think women are unfortunately pros at disqualifying ourselves uh, for so many different reasons. And so much is at the root of that, which which we can get into a little bit later in this podcast. But as Bethany mentioned, we have another very special guest, uh, a friend of both of ours. Um, she was it, The joke is often that it was Bethany's friend first, and I, I inched my way in and said, I've got to get to know this, this woman. She is one of the wisest pastors I have ever known. We joke and call her Yoda. <laughs> because... I'm older than you both, too. <laughs> no, no. Because when this woman speaks, wisdom um, just pours out of her mouth. And I know this comes from years of walking with the Lord. So, Melissa Pillman, welcome. We're so glad to have you. I'm honored to be here. Thank you. Melissa is a pastor. She's the lead pastor of Missio Day Church out of Wrigleyville in Chicago, uh, Missio Day Churches is one of five non-denominational churches in the city. You've been pastoring there for now a few years. Yeah, it's hard to say when I started, but that's part of the story we'll get to. I started in an interim capacity, but my husband and I have been worshiping as part of this community for almost 22 years now. Oh my goodness. Amazing. 22 years. Well, and 
at, you know, as a pastor there, um, you eventually made your way to Northern Theological Seminary, where you uh, studied with the Master of Arts in New Testament yeah, as well. Yeah, really formative. I never would have expected that that would be a time to take it on between COVID and some of the unrest in Chicago and um, just the uh, transition that our church was going to go through. Uh, along with a major surgery, all of that was ahead of me, and I didn't know it on the first day. And I look back on that, and I just think it was actually like an anchor in a four-year storm Wow! to have that cohort and that space with um, just my seminary brothers and sisters and yep. uh, just have a place to actually be developed and to be poured into one place where you're not pouring out in yep. the chaos. So yep. Amazing. Really I love that so much. So one of the things that I want to do with you today is reflect on your story. I think that your story, of course, is unique and your calling. And at the same time, I think it is also somewhat common for so many women who find themselves in these roles as pastors. And so, so Melissa, you didn't start out in ministry. You didn't at 16 years old, you know, wake up one day and say, I'm going to school to be a pastor. You know, it's funny that you use that age, Terabeth, okay. because somewhere around there, my parents had me do one of those career aptitude tests that uh -huh. you get to, what am I going to do with my yeah. life? Right. No. Mine said I was going to be a gynecologist. Did it really? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that didn't That's good. <laughs> the top three for me were hairdresser, counselor, or clergy. Okay. And I thought it was laughable, just the whole thing. And I went on to go into career in advertising. Um, then I moved to Chicago and uh, came here to return to school for a whole different industry and fell in love with my now husband who was just starting a business. And so we spent 20 years building a business uh, mm -hmm. together that allowed us also to raise our kids. Mm -hmm. um, so I was a stay-at-home working mom. Mm -hmm. And we were and you guys were in the west restaurant industry, right? Well, that's new. Okay, that's, that's the Andy's new. COVID okay. uh, passion project. Ah, Who knew? Okay. Everyone dealt in their own way. Yep. That was his. <laughs> um, and so we built this business for 20 years. I was working from home. And when our youngest went to school full-time, I knew I wasn't ready to leave that company. We were still mm -hmm. working together. And Andy said, well, you know, you like what you do as like a deacon serving in our church. Why don't you go to the pastor, see if they need any help? And so I started part time as an assistant to the elder team, uh, basically a project manager like Bethany, like you said, right. that other uh, the woman that you guys right, yeah. talked to yesterday or last week. Um, it was a very similar story. And it was just sort of like get get in where you can. And I didn't have a vision for it. And mm -hmm. over time, um, God just sort of open that up both through opportunity and just, uh, I think, growing in my own heart, something mm -hmm. that I did not even know how to imagine. So you felt drawn to the church uh, because you felt like that would be a place where we, you would be able to use your gifts um, as an administrator, as a project manager. Yeah, I, I was already serving in the church. So my first uh, leadership and ministry role was about 19 years ago mm -hmm. when um our daughter was a baby, and I started leading the mom's group, and I was completely mm. unqualified. Um, but somebody saw something in me, and so I said, sure, I can talk. I can mm. do that. Mm -hmm. um, as long as Beth Moore has the content, I yeah. can have a conversation. <laughs> and so we started Is there. there a DVD player? Then and, I'm in. And then I'm in. Um, and so a few years later, I became a deacon of what we called soul care. So basically, I was there at the time. We had become a complementarian church. Uh, when we joined, we were egalitarian, and a new leadership team came in and changed that. 
What um, was that process like, by the uh, way? Because I think so sudden. That's that's a big process. And for some churches, it's incredibly controversial. I mean, so we've watched Saddleback Church go through this, right? Yeah. And they were, you know, excommunicated from the denomination. And some churches try to go through this, and and it doesn't go well. So sudden, yeah. that's that's surprising to hear. Say more about that. Well, the the switch uh, from first of all, I should say, I I've just I've never been a church shopper. Like I mm-hmm. said, I've been here for 22 years. The church before that was the church I was in with my family forever, and my mom mm-hmm. was an elder for 20 years. Mm-hmm. So I knew about I knew about the Lord. I knew um, I knew the gospel, um, but I had no idea about words like complementarian or egalitarian. Right. I actually right. didn't know that Protestants had that conversation. I thought that was like a Catholic thing, where for priests to be men and everybody else just didn't oh, so do it. you I didn't were, even know it was a thing. You were in a complementarian church. And you just assumed that no well, women... No, when I started, we were egalitarian. Uh, oh, oh, so oh. the church I'm in now. So I didn't know that there were complementarian churches. Got I didn't it. know that was a thing. Got it. And I didn't know a lot of theological words. I just, mm-hmm. you know, which is fine. But so anyway, a new leadership change. I was actually on the team who hired the pastor. And we thought it wasn't going to be a thing to switch back. But as he got into place, he and his leadership team, who, by the way, this is a gentleman that I um, worked so well with and uh, became dear friends with. He's a really wonderful heart. But in the beginning of his leadership, he made the choice, along with some of the leaders that he had brought on, that they wanted to switch it. And I, I think that as a congregant, any form of a process was completely unknown to me. It was just something that happened. And that was the one moment when I went out on a walk and I talked to the Lord and I was like, I didn't even know this was a thing. Mm. What do I need to do, God? Do I need to stay? Do I need to study? I don't have time to study. I have a baby and a toddler at home. And Mm. do I need to leave? I don't want to leave. I like I just didn't know. Do I need to go talk, confront this pastor? But I was totally ill-equipped. Because I didn't even know this was a conversation. Were you on staff at this point oh, or no? no? We were, you I were just in, still... I was maybe, maybe a deacon of okay. soul care, but I was serving in the church. Sure. Um, and I still remember where I was at Ravenswood and Winnemac. If For those of you who know Chicago, I was on a walk under the overpass and God said, clear as a day in my head and my heart, wait. Hmm. And my first response was, great, they'll change their minds. I don't need <laughs> wow. to let you go. And right afterwards, I said, shoot, what if I change my mind? Whoa. I don't want to. And so I started asking God, like, wait for what? What's going to happen? Wait, wait, and nothing else. Wow. And Andy and I have stayed because that weight never released. Wow. Um, but that part was clear. And so that was years then. And now fast forward, and I'm working part-time as a project coordinator and assistant at the church. Um, really respect the complementarian leadership that was there, uh, even though I didn't agree with them, but we could be okay not agreeing. And in 2014, the pastor, my my boss and the gentleman I was referring to said, um, you know, even if we're complementarian, we should be learning from women. Will you preach for us? And so I was the first woman to preach uh, so, so our church. So moving complementarian, moving towards soft complementarian, yeah. as we would call it. Yeah, okay. that's what I would they'd say now. Yeah. And then a couple years, and so I started preaching regularly. And then a couple years later, and how um, was that received by the congregation? Some left, but they okay. didn't talk to me about it. So. Okay, <laughs> the men okay. who made the decision said, "This is our decision, and we will go to bat for it. Good. You do not need wow. to." So, did you know? Were you aware that people left because of your preaching? Yeah. Okay. So we're a small congregation, um, big city 
church is um it's a big city but they're little churches most of them mm-hmm. so um you 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 know everybody and sure. and I knew um and they didn't hide it from me and that was okay they just made sure that I knew that I did not need to defend my presence mm-hmm. that that was their choice and they How would go to bed did you navigate that pain how did you process that at the time you know there was a lot that I don't know if I processed at the time that I knew hurt of mm. being a woman who was in spaces. I, I often felt like I had an asterisk. Uh-huh. Um, and so, for example, I'd be in spaces where people would say, you know, you're basically a, an elder's wife. And mm-hmm. I would say, have you met my husband? <laughs> like, I'm basically an elder and you don't know what to do with that. But I couldn't yes. voice it. Wow. Or the first time I taught at a women's event, the woman who was leading it said, we're not preaching we're sharing. Oh, that's why oh, it's that's okay. That's a difference. Yes. <laughs> and I was like, I don't know what you're doing, but I'm teaching when wow. I get up there. Again, I didn't say it. There was so much I didn't say because I didn't have language for it yet. So I accepted it and the processing had to happen over time. Wow. And one of those pieces, going back to Maria's story too. At uh, So anyway, I sorry, quickly, after a few years, one of the people who had been involved in the process to say we should be complementarian came back and said, I'm not sure if I believe this anymore. I want to study it. And one of the spaces I was in is I was the one who was coordinating, along with my boss, the process to take an entire community through this discernment process. And oftentimes I would find myself studying this content at a table with 12 men and me. And had to say to them things like, "What well, you're, you're talking about how this will impact you. That's how this theology impacts you. I need you to know that for me, this is a conversation of personhood and like trying to find the way to speak in those spaces. But you guys, I have to say I was surrounded with wonderful men who were ready to listen and were humble and wow. who all 100 percent with time, with time, it was not all at once. It was a very long process, have all come to be absolute uh, fighters for egalitarian theology, wow. all egalitarian churches, um, honoring and uplifting women, they have all come to say, I, I see something different now. Mm. And so um, it took a long time. But back to the thing with Maria, when years later, after we were now egalitarian and my boss took me out to lunch to celebrate whatever anniversary of working there it was, he asked what was really exciting and what was really hard about working there. And I told him, that I knew I had a mother's heart for this church, but mm-hmm. the only position available was a nanny. Mm-hmm. So I took it and I did what I could from there. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's the path that a lot of women, maybe women listening now, who find themselves in love with their community, that's a complementary community, need to know like there are spaces for you to nurture and to exercise your mother's heart. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, so I want to go back for a second. Can you talk a little bit about that tension of sitting at this table with 12 men who all have Mm -hmm. this complementarian view and feeling that weight and responsibility as the only female who has an egalitarian view? I mean, I'm sure you said it was a long process. I'm sure there were moments of feeling just so defeated or, you know, can you talk a little bit? How did you wrestle with that tension? Did you ever feel like I'm not the right person to sit at this table? Well, I think the um, the path, that was one of the places where my life always had an asterisk. It would be like all the elders and Melissa, because she was the assistant <laughs> to the elders. It would be like all these things. We'd have oh meetings, goodness. and it would be like all the elders and Melissa. Um, one of the things that I think was actually a benefit for me to not feel that weight 
was that we were leaning on scholarship. You guys, I had never done the study. Like I said, mm-hmm. I didn't know this was a conversation. I just knew my mom was an elder for 20 years, and I didn't know we had to talk about that. Mm-hmm. Wow. So I didn't have a solid theology behind my opinion. Um, we all were doing that work of reading and processing together. Mm-hmm. And I think that the discipline of choosing, they chose to have me at that staff table with them. They right. didn't have to. Yep. But part of that discipline was making sure that you are being aware of what you're saying and how that might impact half the church. You feel that differently when you're sitting mm-hmm. with a woman mm-hmm. and you kind of stop and the way you say something or process something. Um, and I should also say by then, I was really comfortable with these men. They were are great humans and I trusted their hearts all the time. Or I couldn't have stayed if I didn't trust their hearts. Mm-hmm. I didn't agree with all their views or all their decisions. But I trusted their hearts, and their hearts towards me were so good, regardless of any theological difference. And so we could go on that journey together and um, just really give each other grace because we all stumbled. Mm-hmm. We all said things that we've later apologized mm-hmm. for. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So eventually, you're at this church, and the church moves towards this really big decision of embracing the role of women in ministry. And so at that time when that transition happened, were you still in this project manager role? Well, it's funny because we were talking like, what do we call her? You know, mm, wow. <laughs> what, what is this? Yeah. Um, because at the time we didn't use the term pastor. It doesn't matter the story there. We were just specified like elders and deacons are what we see in the early church. So we're going to just use that terminology. And so we didn't have a term for what this was. And so we just sort of called me Melissa. Mm -hmm. Um, But on paper, my job was still that original job description. It's just not what I was doing anymore. I've been, I've been preaching there and leading different ministries since, uh, well, preaching since 2014, leading ministries since 2009. And I was just Melissa. It's again, small church. There's a benefit of that. Did that ever bother you that you were never given a specific title? Because I know... you know, you don't want to sound too much like, well, I need a title. But at the yeah. same time, titles do help define what our roles and responsibilities are. So you're sitting here with this title of nanny or admin, but you're preaching. That's that's a hard place to be in. Well, and I had a lot of shame around that, too. I had a lot of shame around the fact that I felt misnamed. Mm-hmm. And um, I would tell myself things like, well, Jesus didn't need a title, <laughs> you know, Messiah. But, you know, he didn't need to be... Um, pastor Jesus or something, elder Jesus or something. You know, there's mm-hmm. I would just say like other people don't need to. It doesn't matter. Like just yeah, we just do it. what you can do, mm-hmm. and and you don't need that. Why? Why are you proud? What is that? And mm-hmm. so I would have a lot of pride around it, and uh, or a lot of doubt and shame around it. Um, and uh, throughout all of this time, I've also been meeting on and off for years and years with a with a great counselor, and we would process that. And he was one of the first ones to call me a pastor wow. and to just name me as mm. that. And, um, you know, with time starting to process that, like, you know what, a, a name does matter. We see that in the Old Testament. The names we give to God matter. Mm-hmm. Uh, the naming of children uh, matter. The changing of a name uh, you know, Jacob to Israel or Abram to Abraham, like it matters. There's something going on there. Mm-hmm. And so um, I allowed myself to admit that being misnamed is hard, um, but I wasn't going to let that stop me from what I was doing. But I, I, I decided to give myself the freedom to go into those conversations. 
Mm. And we were having those conversations when all of the shifting happened. Mm. Wow. So how did that feel the first time people started to call you pastor? Well, it was funny because it was happening outside of my church community before it happened inside. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it was happening at Northern. It was happening with my counselor. It was happening with, uh, you know, other friendships or people in other contexts who said they were experiencing me as a pastor Mm -hmm. or I was pastoring them well or something like that. Such a perfect description of really of my experience of you, Melissa, how many times we're in conversation and all of a sudden you're pastoring me. And I walk away just feeling so edified and blessed. You have such an incredible, nurturing shepherd's heart about you. And you so, yeah, so I love that that people outside of the community began to call out those gifts. And so while you were at Northern Seminary and you're going through this and people start calling you pastor, I mean, eventually you're installed as the lead pastor. So... That was kind of a zero to 60 moment. Can you share more about that? Yeah, it was a bit of a shift. So um, in March 2019, we had a sudden leadership change that was uh, unexpected. It started just as a pause um, and then ended up being being longer. And so um, I started in an interim capacity, um, <clears throat> sort of filling in more of the preaching and some of the other um uh, staff leadership things mm-hmm. and all of that at the time with another co-pastoring with another um, person on staff. And then um, as he and his family moved away, uh, I was doing that as the lead interim mm-hmm. pastor. But mm-hmm. during that time, I was feeling like, wow, we've been through the ringer. This community needs a fresh face to have a feeling of a fresh start. So I didn't put my hat in the ring, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would even say, Melissa, just being on that journey with you, you disqualified yourself. I absolutely did. I did. Mm-hmm. And I, I hadn't seen that that was where my journey was going to go. Um, I probably held on to some, um, a lot of self-doubt mm-hmm. that I could do what this hurting community needed in that season. But then, of course, came March 2020. And we all know about that. And so then it kind of came like we just we just have to we just have to get this community through this next thing. And as time went on, I found, like you just said, Tara Beth, that my 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 natural language is a nurturer, that mother's yes. heart. That yep. that is just a it's somebody that it, that part comes easily to me. And so I just found myself white knuckled to try to nurture mm. what remnant we could through mm that time and after a while I and some and some voices speaking into my life and some more time in prayer and in counseling and discernment just felt like wow maybe we don't need fresh so much as we could just go with stable and so I ended <laughs> up actually um, applying for the position at that point and wow. so moved in officially I can't remember a couple of years ago now mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but even ironically you were on the team that was interviewing potential lead pastors. Oh, I was. And I had my pick. I had <laughs> I my pick in there. Yeah. Yes. And yeah. so um, when it came around that I suddenly thought um, it was it was really hard to go through that process during COVID, mm-hmm. you know, including for the candidates. And um, as I started to feel like this might actually be the call for the next season for me, I held that in front of my elder team. And I said, I want you guys to know, I feel like um, I could get really excited about this. And one of the other elders said, I need to know if you're doing that because we just have a need right now. Mm-hmm. And you're just being Melissa and saying yes to fill something or if you actually feel this as a passion. And I was like, no, I 
I feel like I'd be really excited about this. And he was like, I, I want you off this team then because we we got to mm -hmm. pursue this. So I told them I would love to do this or I would love to pursue this this other candidate. And I would be equally excited to work in either of those wow. settings. And then I backed off that team and we went from there. The rest is history. Yeah. <laughs> wow. So tell me about when that began to roll out to the church, that this call team said, we have a candidate. And it's Melissa. It's, yeah. you know, someone that you know. How how was that received? Uh, so sweetly. Again, yeah. small community, all know each other. Yep. We'd been meeting in such small gatherings. I had been a point person throughout COVID when Chicago was very shut down, very virtual. And a lot of people just were not okay. Um, you know, we had people who were living alone who didn't even have an outdoor space to mm -hmm. go to who would go weeks without physical contact with another human and like we have some really hurting people and a lot of people moving it was a season of, of incredible lack of closure um because a lot of people are in chicago for a stepping season of life they sort of fast forwarded the step of that season yep. during that time and so there was a lot of feelings of loss and um so anyway by the time that news came out we were sort of this small gritty gathering with our masks still on and the the overall receptivity of that was great and i get asked sometimes like wow did did people leave your church because you're a woman i'm like no, anybody who had a problem with that left in 2014 yeah mm -hmm. so yeah. by yeah. that point on i was visible enough that nobody was staying around if that was right. a make or break for them. right right well it's interesting you say that just you know the fact that the church knew you it wasn't this outside pastor that was a female but it was oh Melissa. It's Melissa, that one who always has an asterisk next to her name and yeah. no title. Yeah, we know her. Yeah, and I, I, I say that because I think that was so much of my experience going into Good Shepherd. It was a church that knew me, and it was oh, it's Tara Beth. Yeah, we, we feel comfort with Tara Beth. She feels like home, and you know, some degree because she's part of our history. Yeah, and I would imagine during a season that was full of so much transition for your church, there was so much comfort in having you there. Yeah, I, w I think that maybe that's part of what released me from my own self-disqualification, mm -hmm. um, not only the nudging of Bethany, um, <laughs> but also just that realization, like it's okay to say that we might need something different than what I thought a little mm -hmm. while ago. Mm -hmm. Right. This has been, this is something different now. Right, right. Well, and so you're in the city and, you know, a lot of our listeners, you know, may not uh, understand the context of being a pastor in an urban setting. It's something that I don't understand. I just hear about it from my friends, and I know it's wildly different uh, from suburban and even rural pastoring. And one of the things that I do know is that a lot of the networks within the city uh, where pastors come together uh, to connect are pretty male-saturated. Uh, the city of Chicago, a lot of these more, and I always, I feel like I always have to put like a, a qualifier in this with the, when I say evangelical, but uh, a lot of these more evangelical churches, they're, they're pretty male-saturated. Yeah. We recently um, had, uh, I recently had an opportunity to go to an event um, with uh, an organization that in and of itself is egalitarian, was very mm -hmm. intentional on reaching out to me as a female pastor yep. to invite me in. Um, and the two times that I attended their events, um, one was just for pastors. I was the only female in the room. 
And the other one was for a broader group, but it was very clear that they were not only complementarian churches that were represented there, Mm -hmm. but the the speaker was complementarian. And so they're here at what they're declaring to be an egalitarian event. And the speaker uses male pronouns for pastors and then, you know, Mm. instead of a pastor's spouse, uses pastor's wives. And I would just say, um, you know, to any listener who's out there that, like, if you're noticing those little things... um, they feel big when you're the one that doesn't fit yeah, they do. the overall generalization. Yeah. And if you're in a space where you might be using or have a history of using those generalizations, just know, like, stop and pause and think, like, if I'm trying to express a more open view, I want to be really careful, even in those little nuances of language. Um, I get emails from Chicago groups inviting me um, as a pastor's wife. Yeah. to their gatherings. Like I, yeah. I, should I forward this to Andy? I don't think he wants to go. And <laughs> it's just, it's just it, it is a subtle way that we feel discluded. Oh, man. I was once invited on a retreat uh, with, with pastors. And this was a retreat uh, for pastors who happened to pastor churches of over a thousand. And it was the first time in this retreat's history that a female pastor had ever been there. And it and it was for spouses too, and so it was the first time that a pastor's husband had ever been there. And oh my goodness, it <laughs> Jeff had a heyday with it. He they had everything uh, for the pastor's spouses catered towards women. I remember he filled out this form of all of his likes, and it was you know all full of these flowers and like you know it was this pink <laughs> oh, wow. piece of paper. And the he went to the first gathering. It was actually on a cruise ship, and there they had this break um, icebreaker where they had this fuzzy piece of yarn, and they had to wrap the piece of yarn around their finger. And every time they wrapped it around their finger slowly, they had to share something about themselves. Oh, and wow. so, bless my husband, he sat there in a room full of these twenty women, and he wrapped a piece of yarn <laughs> around <laughs> his finger, and then he went to counseling. <laughs> Oh. And I tell you what, like these men, these pastors' husbands have got to be like the most secure men oh, on the planet. It's, like, I mean, Andy likes to um, refer to himself in our church as the first mister. <laughs> and first so, mister. yeah, yeah. And uh, we just we just own it. And um, our congregation em- embraces it um, as well. But, yeah, I think one of the questions that I've realized in those spaces, and, you know, I'm sure you both have tried to navigate this as well as women in ministry, even even for the non-pastors. It's like, which of these spaces, these male-heavy, even complementarian spaces that I've been invited into are spaces that I should go to for the women who come behind me and which are a waste of sideways energy for me. Friends, thanks so much for joining us for this episode on The Pastor's Table. We've had such a rich conversation with Bethany Hammer and Melissa Pillman, pastor of Missio Day. This is part one. There's just so much to say and so much to learn from Pastor Melissa that we're going to continue this conversation in part two. And so we'll see you again next week. Until next time, may God bless you and the gift of this calling that we have. The music on this podcast is Radiant Church by 1111 Worship. And the podcast is produced by Chaz Robbins at Hope Story Media.